This episode of the Esoteric Order of Roleplayers is brought to you by the generosity of our backers on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash esotericrp to find out how you can become a backer too. We create and broadcast these episodes live on native lands. We acknowledge these are unceded lands, with diverse communities maintaining connections to these places, and recognize their ancestors, their elders, both past and present, and future generations. Learn more by visiting the Native American Rights Fund website at narf.org. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of me, David Larkins, and I'm going where I've never gone before. Confession, Lieutenant Junior Grade Win Sedino. I hereby confess to the murder of Captain Jay Scalvin and the attempted murder of Commander Verena Kerensky. I would like the record to show that my so-called accomplices, Lieutenants Frakes and Kresar, were not involved in this incident and are wholly innocent. The circumstances leading to Captain Galvin's death are as follows. How's that for a dramatic opening? Aw, oh, yeah, all right, we're in it. Visions of Futures Past, part two. So yeah, I decided to kick things off a little differently this time. Uh, actually, the book, the rule book, does present some ideas for alternative story structures, and it talks about in medias res uh, openings, including the flashback approach, which we will be using here. For this, our last mission, for now, of Captain's Log. Um, when I started this back in January, way back in January, <laughs> uh, the EOR's docket was relatively clear. I wasn't really seeing anything getting released for a while, and just wanted to work on something in the meantime, you know, put something out there on the feed and get a little experimental, as I talked about in, in session zero. So here we are, continuing with our experimentations. And also, frankly, I am now finding myself running more things, uh, whereas back in January I was, I was just a player. A player in what, you might ask? Well, you, dear listener, will soon find out. Uh, but that's a topic for another day. And let's just focus on wrapping up Captain's Log. Well, wind's in trouble. Captain Galvin's dead. Her uh, mentor, Commander Kerensky, wounded. Almost dead. At Wynn's hands. What happened? I don't know. <laughs> That's part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah, no, I don't I don't know. I sat down and I just started writing an opening log and that's what came to me. So I'm like, screw it, that's what we're gonna go with. Now 
just as a quick review uh, from last time, I knew going in we were going to be dealing with a court-martial situation. Initially I was thinking, oh, it's a court-martial for insubordination because when refused to teleport off the Borg sphere when everyone else did, thought she'd play the hero, thought she'd, you know, do the valiant last stand, and instead just, you know, got on Captain Galvin's bad side. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I guess I just kind of figured let's, let's up the stakes a little bit, you know, because we also ended the last session with Wynn and Frakes and Kreesar in the brig. Why? Because of this meddlesome alien amoeboid. Um, yes, so what, you know, what's going on there? What, you know, uh, what, what do our friends, the uh, Awami Ogopa, have to say for themselves, right? I was thinking about this uh, quite a lot, actually, after the last session, because as I touched on at the end of the last session, uh, we're, we're dealing with a pretty common, from my perspective, a pretty common trope in, in Star Trek, which is um, some kind of non-human, non-humanoid um, species or entity which comes along and sort of promises um, a sort of transhuman uh, existence. And obviously this has been... It's, it, it is fascinating to me to look back on the missions so far and see these themes come up over and over again. We have themes of you know, alien entities trying to merge with humanity and make humanity something more than what it currently is. So a transhuman kind of thing. We have Wynn, who's a trans person. Uh, you know, we have themes of, yeah, identity and um, questioning, you know, what does it mean to be me? What does it mean to be human? You know, and these are very Star Trek, Star Trek-y questions, Strek-y questions. Um, so, you know, it's pretty cool. That's why I'm saying, like, you know, on balance, my opinion of, of Captain's Log, in spite of, you know, occasional struggles uh, with the material, very positive. You know, I, I feel like this was a distinctly Star Trek experience that I've been having up to this point and will presumably continue to have. You know, I don't feel like this was some generic sci-fi game. It's done a really good job of sort of capturing that Star Trek vibe, you know. So, that all being said, sometimes Star Trek gets a little dark, obviously. Sometimes uh, it gets a bit heavy. And I think, you know, uh, you know, call this a season finale, call this a series finale, what have you. First of all, classic to end off on a two-parter, but also... Um, this is really the time to pull out all the stops. You know, let's, let's, um, let's get a little wild with it, you know. So, we've got a Starfleet JAG court-martial situation. Also, the mission specifically that I rolled up was advise Starfleet on enemy species. So the question still remains there. Are we talking about the Ogopa? 
are we talking about the Borg? It's an enemy species. Remember, the Agopa were rolled up as a friendly species. Friendly species. So, have to resist the urge to make them into some kind of sinister, uh, corrupting force or whatever, you know. So, I'm thinking that if there is any sort of negativity with the Agopa, it's not their fault. It's the law of unintended consequences at work. You know, maybe they maybe they thought by going to Earth and merging with humanity that it would be a win-win situation for everyone. Turns out not so much. And if that's the case, then I need to decide what that means. Uh, and I have some ideas percolating already. But we've got the incident is transformed still. So again, we're really, you know, hitting that theme. Transform, transform, transform. Uh, speaking of theme, again, this isn't really a theme, but uh, setting maybe. Quarantine zone makes total sense. And, uh, and I think for the flashback, you know, obviously the um, opening log is taking place in some much larger facility where Wynn is being held prisoner. But uh, for the flashback, we're going to go back to the quarantine zone, which uh, is effectively the Kyushu. I'm, I'm just thinking it's, you know, the Kyushu shows up um, at Earth. And, uh, you know, it's confined to orbit. No, no beaming downs, no beaming ups. None of that. Everyone has to stay on board Kyushu. Advantage. Historic precedent. This this was uh, interestingly worded because it's basically saying go back to one of your earlier missions and look for something that could be relevant to the current mission that would help you solve the problems that are confronting the crew. Uh, so, of course, the first thing that popped in my head when I got that was uh, their encounter with the Borg. And maybe learning something from that to apply in the Agopa case. Uh, but we'll see. I also went ahead and rolled up a JAG officer since we haven't had a Tellarite yet, which, I, you know, I know this is um, purely auditory. There are no visuals. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> Tellarite, for those of you who don't know, I believe in the original. They're, they're one of the original uh, alien species, humanoid species from the original series, and so therefore canonically one of the founding species of the Federation. But I'm pretty sure in the original series it was literally just a guy in a pig mask. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, I mean, if you're if you're familiar at all with the uh, with the skit from I think you should leave with the, uh, the the pig wearing the Richard Nixon mask. I mean, kind of same vibes, you know. <laughs> so, anyway. Um, but that being said, I figure we've got we've had a Vulcan, we had an Andorian. Yeah, let's complete the trifecta. Let's have a Tellarite as the JAG officer. So we've got Captain Jar, Jar, uh, standing in the wings, waiting 
for their entrance, their moment. And I just want to touch on Captain Jar uh, briefly, though, because I went through the whole like non-player character matrix progression. There, there's just a bunch of different matrices to roll on. If you want to, I decided to roll on every single one. And I got some interesting results. I'm just kind of laying the groundwork here for you know, where my brain is going to go and you know, some of the pieces that we'll be picking up along the way. So for archetype, I got doctor. Now, it's interesting that that's archetype. So Captain Jar could be also a doctor, either a medical doctor or a doctor of something else. Doctor of jurisprudence, you know, doctor of philosophy. Who knows? Uh, but it's it's more of an archetype. So Captain Jar might not even be a doctor. It might just be more like they have the the sort of bearing of a doctor. They they come across like a doctor in that they're very sort of like observational and. Uh, when it is time for them to speak, they speak with great authority, you know, and they have a, a, a deep base of knowledge to draw from. Could be like that. Okay, fine. Upbringing. I mentioned this last session in terms of how wild some of these matrices are with, like, the results that you can generate. I mean... You know, need I need I harp on the fact that the carbon-based life form uh, table, when you roll to see what kind of life form it is, there's only a twenty percent chance that it's an animal, right? That's how we landed on the agope being protists. So uh, yeah, and then there's just tons of really wacky uh, results that are not weighted. That's the other thing. Like when, when you roll on these matrices, it's usually 20 different options for your 20-sided die. So each option has a flat 5% chance of popping up. Uh, so it's it's not even like some of the more outré options are, you know, like, well, yeah, if you roll a 1, but if you roll a 2 through 7, you're going to get a blah, you know. It's nothing like that. And so I got one of these outre uh, results because I rolled under upbringing, mind you. Upbringing, I'm, I'm expecting something like what I had with Wynn. You know, oh yeah, you know, Captain Shark grew up on a colony planet somewhere or whatever. No, no, I got another universe. So Captain Jar is from another universe. I'm guessing the mirror universe. I mean, that's the, <laughs> as far as I know off the top of my head, I mean, that's the one everyone knows, right? For Star Trek, everyone knows the mirror universe. Um, so possibly, yeah, you know, maybe Captain Jar came over here from the mirror universe and, and was like, oh, thank God. Mirror universe sucks. I hate it. Much better over here. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe another universe. Uh, another possibility, of course, is that Captain Jar came over. See, this this gets us into some real wacky stuff, right? Because 
it's possible that we're not in the universe where the Kyushu is destroyed at the Battle of Wolf 359. Right. So, you know, what 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 do they call the the latter day, the the new Star Treks? Is it like the the Kelvin timeline or something like that, you know? Maybe we're in the Kelvin timeline. Who's to say? But there's a lot to play with there. There's a lot going on there. We can definitely make some hay from our JAG officer being from another universe. Um, and then the rest of the stuff. I mean, interestingly enough, for goals, I wrote, or I wrote, I rolled, stop an event from happening. So that was something. His tactics, he tends to put on a grandiose show. So he's one of these, like, theatrical uh, judges slash lawyers, right? And he idolizes the Federation. That's cool. So he's very interested. He's very invested in keeping things the way they are, especially if he's from the Mirror Universe. I could see how he would definitely be <laughs> quite invested in, like, I'm not I'm not going to live like that again. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to let my life end up there in a world like that in a universe like that so I have to do everything in my power to maintain the order to maintain things the way they are and um, not let the apple cart get upset so to speak so there's that and then like I said I'm still trying to figure out how we want to approach this classic trope trek trope trope trek trek trope of the non-humanoid species offering something that's seemingly unambiguously positive and yet also transforming life altering possibly world or culture altering and then the uh, the heroes of the story, our, our brave Enterprise crew or what have you, uh, essentially saying, nah, if it sounds too good to be true, it is too good to be true. There's some hidden drawback here, or maybe the drawback isn't even that hidden. We're not going for it. You know, a weaker-willed crew might have given in, but not us, the heroes of this TV series. So that's that's a pretty time honored possibly time worn trope and I'm debating how much to lean in on that um what we established so far is that if you uh get some of these agope agopas not agapes agopas in your system that their consciousness kind of merges with yours and you get essentially psionic powers at least telepathy but also what appears to be something that's sort of mood altering now in the case of when and Lieutenant Frakes, 
it was a positive development because that that sort of telepathic and emotional uh, shift that occurred allowed them to be open with each other about their true feelings and sort of form this instant bond, this instant connection. In the sort of classic Trek trope application, one direction I could go in would be, uh, well, that's not going to be the same for everyone. You know, if you're if you're really miserable, maybe you know if you're dealing with depression or just you're unhappy with your life, and you get one of these agopas in your system, suddenly it's just going to make everything seem worse. Another way to go, and it's not necessarily mutually exclusive, it could be both of these things, is, is that, sure, the telepathy's kind of cool when you first get it, and especially if you're using it to connect with um, someone that you're secretly in love with. But what happens if you can't turn it off? What happens if you hear everyone's thoughts? You know, and, and the next time you're talking to someone you considered a dear friend and you overhear their thoughts where they think, oh my God, is this person ever going to shut up? And, you know, not, not going to be that fun anymore, right? So that's certainly a possibility. In terms of the friendliness, you know, this might be intentional on the part of the Agopa. Maybe they're here to sort of teach... As a, as a teachable moment for humanity. Um, you know, be careful what you wish for, you might just get it. How many more cliches can I work in <laughs> to this session? But I, I'm just saying, like, that could be intentional on their part. Maybe they go around to a bunch of different planets and they do this thing. They sort of teach teach these lessons of, like, well, you might think that you want these things. You might think that you, you want to be able to read people's thoughts. And you might think that you want to be happy all the time. Let's just say for the sake of argument that that's the case. That's the effect it has on everybody. You know, but when, you, when it comes down to it, you find that that gets to be fairly boring after a while. And, or bothersome, like I say. You know, even if you can turn the telepathy on and off, it would still be bothersome. For sure. So, yeah, that's that's certainly a possibility. But um, but yeah, let's uh, let's just get into it because I have no idea what the hell happened. Why why did Wynn kill Captain Galvin? Is he really dead? That's another classic Trek trope. Is uh, you think one of the main characters gets killed? And, oh, turns out it was either, you know, it was either a fake out or it wasn't as bad as it looked at first or, oh, no, that was actually Captain Galvin's double from the Mirror Universe. <laughs> That's not a bad idea, actually. I might go with that. So we'll see. But, yeah, let's um, let's jump in and we'll we'll do the... I guess we'll do the flashback. The um, the write-up on how to do an Inmedius Res opening with a flashback was a, <clears throat> a little unclear. 
um, how to do that, but uh, it seemed to be telling me to do one thing that didn't make a lot of sense to me. I think what it's telling me to do is to identify the scene number, because remember we have 15 scenes and they're numbered 1 through 15 here on the mission sheet. So I think it was telling me to identify the scene number that we are opening in, okay, and then figure out what scene we're flashing back to, and then I guess return to the current scene. So uh, this might actually be a somewhat truncated mission because it, it seems to be saying, you know, I might like, for instance, say that you know, that's a classic act break, a, a, you know, break right before the third act. So I could, I could say that, you know, our opening log was taking place in scene 10 and that the murder of Captain Galvin um, takes place in scene 5, which is the act break between 1 and 2. So, you know, maybe that's where the flashback goes to. And then we go forward in time, or no, no, sorry, we skip ahead. That's it. So, because they, they were talking about like two different ways to do Immediate Res, and one was they called the catch up, not the, not the condiment, but the catch up. And, um, cats up. <laughs> and, and in that one, you would kind of go, okay, we're starting in scene 10, we're going to jump back to scene five, and then we're going to play six, seven, eight, nine, and then we're going to, you know, catch up with, scene 10 and then go forward from there with the flashback it seemed to be saying you know in this case we're marking scene 10 as where that confession happens we're going to flash back to scene 5 and then we're going to jump back to 10 and then we're going to play through the remaining scenes which would be just five more scenes I think what I might end up doing is just having multiple flashbacks Right, because if we if we start by flashing back to Captain Galvin's death in scene five, we go back to ten, and then we go back to like I don't know scene three, for example. Oh, how did that? You know, how did we get to this point where Captain Galvin dies? You know, that sort of thing. So I think that's what we're going to do, and and so I'm going to establish scene ten before we do the flashback or anything like that. So. So yeah, so that opening log, let's picture, you know, just a black screen with Wynn's voice um, speaking out through the darkness. And as the confession is nearing its close, we, you know, the, we fade out of the black and the shot resolves into a uh, well-lit, very sleek, well-appointed, Federation courtroom somewhere on Earth. Uh, we don't know where because we're within the bowels of this larger um, complex. So obviously we can infer that some, for whatever reason Wynn is no longer quarantined. Interesting. So that would be another question to address is uh, why, why would that be? But anyway, Wynn is uh, there dress uniform, uh, on the witness stand, so to speak, and uh, giving testimony. And we've got good old Captain Jar presiding. 
and we've got um, lawyers, I suppose, advocates um, present for uh, Win as well as for the prosecution. And, you know, maybe Captain Galvin's face is, is up on a monitor screen. And, uh, and Wynn looks remorseful, for sure. Sad and... Um, yeah, deeply, deeply regretful of what happened. So, so what did happen exactly? Asks the prosecuting attorney. And Wynn looks across the courtroom at the many unsmiling faces those in attendance at this court-martial looks back at the prosecutor and says well it all happened this way sir and we flash back to on board Kyushu while it is still under quarantine low earth orbit So as the Kyushu is orbiting Earth, we get this exterior shot, it's very calm, peaceful, you know, classic, um, classic composition, right? <laughs> the, the blue planet uh, shining in the background. And then we cut inside the ship, and it is the Total opposite, klaxons blaring, um, and uh, red alert. I couldn't remember that term last time for some reason. <laughs> red alert in full effect. And uh, people running to and fro up and down the halls of the ship. We're somewhere, we're somewhere inside the ship, we don't know exactly where. And... Uh, and so as the last personnel kind of round the bend and disappear from view, from a side corridor, we see Wynne poking her head out to look up, look up and down the corridor, make sure all's clear. And then uh, she says, this way. And she and Frakes and Kreesar all sort of crouch run out into the main corridor. I think uh, Kreesar and Wynn both have uh, phasers in hand, and um, they are clearly on a mission. So, let's think about what that mission might be. I think the most obvious choice is they're trying to escape. So I think they'd be heading for the shuttle bay. So let's do our first roll of the session. Thanks for bearing with me thus far. I know, I know I've been talking a lot up front without doing a lot of dice rollings, kind of like, kind of like the first session, I guess. But um, anyway, let's do a probability matrix roll. Has Captain Galvin anticipated this move. I'd say that it is 
highly probable that he's anticipated it. That is a one. Okay. So yes, he has anticipated this move. Has he himself gone to the shuttle bay? I'd say that's probable. That's a nine. Okay. Is Kerensky with him? I'd say that's highly probable. That is a 14, so yes. And lastly, does he have a security detail with him? Again, highly probable. And that is a yes. Okay. So, we need to determine whether or not when uh, spots this... Uh, not exactly ambush, but, you know, uh, checkpoint, I guess, right? We need to see if she spots it in time to uh, do something about it. So I think we'll do uh, security for sure, and I'm going to go with insight. So that's an 11 or less. Got 111. Woo! <laughs> the other one was a 16. Okay. That's all we needed. We just needed the one success. Alright, so when um, having been trained in security ops is not going to just go running into the shuttle bay. No, no. She's far too clever for that. The door head is closed. So, um, so Wynn can anticipate that there's going to be some folks waiting for her there. She doesn't necessarily know it's Captain Galvin. But she knows that if she was in Captain Galvin's shoes, she would have certainly sent a security team to the shuttle bay as soon as word got out of their escape. So I think here is the point where we can maybe ask some questions about what other powers does the Agopa uh, grant its host. We've established telepathy as a thing. Are we looking at maybe some clairvoyance? You know, some clairsentience. Um, usually that goes hand in hand with telepathy in your classic uh, psionic suite of powers. So... Um, let's call it, I don't know, probable versus somewhat probable. Let's go with probable. That is a yes. Okay. So, uh, you know, Wynn and Kreesar, I mean, I'm sure Kreesar also, <laughs> if Wynn had failed that role, I was going to give Kreesar a, a pretty highly weighted probability matrix role. <laughs> so... I'm sure Kreesar is kind of thinking the same thing. They stop, they look at each other, giving each other knowing looks, and and then um, all three of them sort of close their eyes, concentrate for a moment. And obviously there's no rules for psionic powers <laughs> in Captain's Log. Um, but... I think we can go with, uh, let's go with insight plus command. It's kind of a personality uh, test there, isn't it? And again, I get one success. So I'll say that Wynn is able to 
discern that there are people on the other side of the door and um, and that there's more of them than there are of her group but as far as who they are specifically you know I didn't generate any momentum or anything like that so I don't think there's really any uh, you know I didn't generate a, a focus bonus or anything like that so yeah, I don't think there's any further details forthcoming. So, she looks at the other two. She says, Phaser's on stun. They nod. And she says, and then Kreesar says, on my mark. And um, they get ready. Frakes kind of backs off a bit since he's unarmed. Wynn and Kreesar position themselves in a crouch. Um, you know kind of next to the bulkheads around the door and when punches the the uh, mechanism to open the door and with a whoosh up it goes and sure enough in the shuttle bay we see Captain Galvin standing waiting for this moment knowing that Wynn was going to appear and perhaps hoping to talk with her, but she is a woman of action. She has a daring of ten and a phaser and the willingness to use it. So, I think uh, Wynn is going to just try and hit the captain with a stun stun bolt. <laughs> so, uh, we're into combat here. And let's do it. So, um, yeah, we're going to do daring. We're going to do security. It's going to be a 13. Here we go. Yeah. Interesting. Two failures. An 18 and a 19. So fortunately, I didn't generate any threat, although it was very close. Uh, but what Wynn didn't realize is that Galvin, being a Federation captain, you know, he... Part of his training... Part of his core principles is, you know, be willing to put yourself at risk, and but only if it's uh, for you know in service to a, a larger plan, right? And so in this case, <coughs> I'm going to say he had uh, one of his security team positioned with kind of a um, what they would call an enfilading position on on the bulkheads. Uh, anticipating this very move and so one of the security team can actually see when um, without any you know cover and uh, opens up with with the stunner and uh, and causes when to you know do a, a tuck and roll out of the way as the phaser uh, hits the bulkhead instead but um, certainly um, nearly gets her and puts her out of her good position. Uh, we can hear Kreesar's phaser going off as well. Galvin makes a run for it. Wynn is going to continue to fire at him as he dashes away. Okay, that's more like it. Two successes this time. No, no focus, but that does mean we get a momentum. I'm going to spend that immediately to do plus one damage. Okay. 
So Wynn is uh, firing her phaser at Galvin as he's dashing for it, and the shots are so close, they're like whizzing past him, that he's uh, forced to uh, dive for cover behind one of the shuttles, and uh, it's not, not very graceful. You know, he hits the ground kind of hard, maybe bangs his shoulder on the sponson on the shuttle or something, you know. Um... Okay, so uh, some phaser fire is exchanged when, um, you know, darts across the hall so that she's sort of firing above Kreesar's head. And um, I think at this point, Captain Galvin, you know, sees that the time for negotiation has passed. And so he's going <coughs> to get his phaser out and return fire. So we're in a little little phaser fight here and okay just one success but that's all I needed so he uh, pops his head out and when lines it up and pops him and down he goes all right so let's see here uh, the way the conflict work rules work I guess we could carry on to the next combat, although I'm kind of wondering. Um, hmm. No, I'm seeing a more a more dramatic uh, turn we can go here. So you don't want to just make this a bunch of you know dice rolls and ticking boxes off and whatnot, right? So um, so yeah, with uh, Captain Galvin uh, down. Uh, when shouts, let's go! And they start uh, darting across the shuttle bay, uh, you know, phaser fire zinging back and forth um, as basically like when winds just, you know, sees that if if they run straight up the middle, since the security teams are on the flanks, they can't really effectively open fire without risking hitting the other team on the other side of the, the bay. Uh, so the shots are going a little wild. They're not, um, yeah, they're, they're, uh, the security teams are, are distracted, uh, by trying not to hit their compatriots. And so we are going to make a dash for it to the, um, near shuttle. And I think, uh, for that, we'll go with, um, fitness plus command since when is leading the charge so let's say 13 or less two successes nice all right and in fact one of those is a focus potentially let's see I do have a focus in hand phasers hmm mm -hmm, mm -hmm. all right um so I'm going to say that uh, even though Wynn is, is making a run for it, she's still able to uh, get off a couple shots back at the teams. And so I'm going to say she hits a couple of the guys um, firing on them and, and, uh, and uh, knocks them down, which I'm going to roll the probability matrix here to see if the other two team members made it, and I'll give that uh, probability a bump. So I'll bump it from somewhat probable to probable, 
that at least one of them made it. And we get that. And then um, instead of a 50-50 chance, we'll go to somewhat probable, uh, did they both make it? And I got a 10 under 12. Okay, great. Okay, so thanks to Wynn's um, pinpoint accuracy, firing on the run, uh, all three of them make it to the shuttle and, uh, and they dash inside. So that would be the end of that scene, I think, for sure. Okay, so, <laughs> so then we're gonna uh, cut back to the interrogation. And um, let's see, you're gonna cut back to the interrogation and Captain Jar <laughs> leans, leans over the table and says, yes, yes, but um, I fail to see if, if you had the phaser set to stun how Captain Galvin uh, might have been killed. And, uh, and when gets this sort of pained expression on her face and she says, um, she says, well, that's where you'll see, sir, that it, wasn't our fault that this happened and uh and so we're gonna flash back again this time to uh scene six so kerensky comes up on the view screen she's still in the shuttle bay she's uh dashed over to you know one of the transmitters and of course she's furious she says um she says lieutenants I order you, as acting captain of the Kyushu, to immediately surrender yourselves. Um, depart the shuttle. Give yourselves up. And uh, obviously, that's not really going to happen. Um, but when uh, is going to broadcast back, communicate back, and she's going to say, Verena. You have been an amazing mentor to me. You taught me so much. But we now have a higher mission than that of the Federation. In one minute, I am going to engage the engines on this shuttle and open the outer doors. Please, take the captain. Fall back. I don't have to tell you what will happen if you all are still in this bay when those doors open. Uh, as a quick aside, I actually don't think it's <laughs> Star Trek technology. I think you could probably be in the shuttle bay when the shuttle departs because of the shielding. But, um, yeah, we'll see. You know, whatever. <laughs> we'll just assume that there's, there's a point like when the shields have to drop briefly for the the shuttle to pass out through, you know, that maybe, eh, you know, plus, I mean, obviously the shuttle's impulse drive, you don't want to kind of be around that without wearing protective gear, right? Yeah, that sounds very reasonable. <laughs> All right, so um, what are the odds that Kerensky is going to follow Wynn's advice? I think knowing what we know, uh, since this is a flashback, we're going to say improbable. And yet I rolled a yes. Ah, the power of the dice. Okay. 
Okay. I'm just thinking of like, is this where everything goes wrong? Probably. I'm thinking that the most likely thing here is that Kerensky is ordering the, the security team to gather the captain. They're going to try and get out of there. And then something goes wrong. Um, you know, wind fires up the engines too soon or something like that, you know. So, and if that's not the case, so so really what we're determining here is whether or not wind is really truly at fault. Because that's going to determine whether the scene's a success or a failure, and it'll reflect on when we hop back to scene 10. Okay, so I think the best way to do that, obviously, would be to make a roll in terms of her piloting. So let's go with control plus con and see if she is, uh, you know, cool under pressure or not, right? Okay, so I got a one one away from generating a focus advantage, sadly. Um, I didn't get a one. I got one success is what I meant. Uh, a single success with one away. I rolled a four and my um, discipline, I believe they're called, uh, a con of three. So close, but not quite. All right. So when, despite her, her nerves, despite everything that's just happened and you know the the pressure of the moment is able to keep a calm and steady hand okay so now we establish that she's taking the fall for her two companions hmm mm-hmm mm-hmm Okay, so I think here's what we're going to do. I'm just trying to think. I, ha I have an idea. <coughs> there is a section in the book, <laughs> to roll or not to roll, right? Let's take a look at that one really quick. Okay, so it says here, the decision to make a dice roll is completely up to you. Some solo gamers feel quite comfortable deciding the probability of success based on multiple factors like experience, areas of expertise, savviness, etc. On such occasions where it is probable that you would succeed, you may choose to forego a dice roll, or you may pr prefer to roll in the yes-no probability matrix and take the chance that things do not work out in your favor, thereby allowing you to envision why and how the failure occurred. You could always establish house rules that stipulate when you are required to do a probability matrix check, for example, whenever you use the ship to perform a challenge, or you can just fly by the seat of your pants and make it up as you go along. Pretty good rule of thumb to go by. If your story is becoming monotonous or mundane, roll on a random matrix. The unexpected can liven things up in amazing ways. All the templates, ideas, and matrixes provided in Captain's Log are tools and aids that provide story prompts to help you uh, to help you to prevent writer's block. If you already have a clear vision of where your story is going, go for it. But if you need to add some tension, roll those dice. Let the game throw you off a bit. It is quite fun. I agree, it is quite fun. Okay, so I do have a clear idea of where the story is going, so I'm gonna go for it. All right, so 
so yeah, so basically, um, uh, Kerensky and the the team uh, retire from the shuttle bay, uh, pulling you know like uh, carrying Captain Galvin uh, with them, and uh, and so we're going to return to the scene ten testimonial, and the the uh, prosecutor says. Um, and at what point, Lieutenant Sedino, did you discover that your phasers had actually been set on kill? Dun dun dun! And uh, there's your commercial break right there, right? So, <laughs> all right. So we come back. So I think I think we're done with the flashbacks for now. So we're going to come back to scene ten. So we gotta we gotta do a, a, a nice. Uh, juicy um, act break here. So, oh, let's see. Mm, yes, ideas are percolating. Okay, very good, very good. So, so Wynn is on the stand, and you know, for the benefit of the folks just <laughs> just tuning in, prosecutor says. And at what point, Lieutenant Sedino, did you discover your phasers had been set to kill? And uh, I think at this point, when uh, let's give her a presence plus command roll to maintain her composure. All right, so that is a double success. So we get some momentum for that. And so even though her eyes are, um, you know, swimming a little bit, she says, uh, well, it was Lieutenant Frakes who discovered that, sir, and it was while we were inbound uh, towards the uh, Federation HQ. Would they be going to the Federation HQ? That's in San Francisco, right? I think so. Um, let's uh, let's probability matrix it. I'll say it's uh, probable. Yeah, okay. That is where they're going. And, uh... And so the, the prosecutor says, I see. You are an experienced officer. You've, I see by your records, you have had extensive training. Top marks, really, in um, hand phasers. That seems like a rather amateurish mistake to make. And need I remind you, it has cost a Starfleet captain his life. And uh, and Wynn nods, very grim, mouth set. And she says, um, she says, it was never my intention, sir. Uh, captain Galvin was a, a brave and courageous leader and um, represented an aspiration for me. And uh, the prosecutor says, um, well, that may well be, but at the very least, you are guilty of carelessness that has resulted in a death. At worst, you are lying to us and um, wished to kill Captain Galvin. And um, 
Let's give Wynn another. Well, let's see. Okay, so Wynn, Wynn has this momentum. Let's let's cash that in. Let's see where this goes. And I have some, some deeper ideas where this is going, so it's going to inform my decision to just go ahead and roll on that crazy old momentum um, advantage. What is it? Momentum spend table. I'm up for anything here, even a trade opportunity. <laughs> Let's see what happens. New technology. Okay. Engine efficiency improved. God damn it. All right, never mind. All right, so <laughs> let's just go with danger revealed. That sounds like fun. Okay. Federation diplomat reports danger. Oh, perfect, perfect. Okay. So before Win can answer, um, let's see. I, I'm going to say the proceedings are uh, interrupted by a Commodore. I don't know if a Commodore is technically a diplomat. Could be. Maybe not. Uh, but the uh, a Commodore enters the proceeding room and says, um, and says, I am sorry to interrupt, but we are getting reports that the alien um, city ship is approaching Earth. And uh, we are all to report to our uh, emergency stations. And so, um, yes, <clears throat> that sounds good. So Captain Jar uh, stands up and he says, uh, this court is adjourned for the time being. We will reconvene once the danger has passed. Uh, and then he, he nods at the security team and he says, escort the prisoner back to her holding cell. And so as the rest of the uh, assembled courtroom uh, files out, uh, when is, is taken by two security off a uh, team people security officers yes <laughs> when it's taken by two security officers uh, down a, a back corridor all right so let's go back let's let's review oh and by the way let's uh i think we'll mark that as ooh, let's see yeah we'll mark that as a success when kept her cool generated momentum that ended the court-martial for the time being and uh and that's a good act break too we're going into to act three here so it's looking likely that this is actually just going to be a one session uh or yeah one one session mission there we go it's looking likely it's going to be a one session mission uh because we're just going to do the, the last act here these uh these five scenes so so we definitely want to go out with a bang. And like I said, I have some ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, visions of the future's past. Let's keep that in mind. Okay, but also the primary mission that I rolled up, the whole court-martial thing, that was just my own sort of interjection. Um, the actual mission I, wrote, I rolled up on the Starfleet JAG Matrix was advise Starfleet on enemy species. So obviously, they're going to have to bring in Wynn to um, help them out, essentially. All right, so um, yeah, let's see where this all goes. 
so the first thing I'm going to do <laughs> as we get into Act Three is uh, uh, is Wynn escorted all the way back to her holding cells before something else happens, <laughs> and we'll just say fifty-fifty on that one. And that's a no, no, no. Of course not. Of course not. No, you can't just go back to your cell. That's boring. All right. So let's think about what what is happening. So we know the Awame Agopa is um, approaching Earth. We know it has a Klingon vessel <laughs> inside, or or it did at one time. Uh, here we go. There's a probability question for you. Did the Klingon vessel manage to um, manage to escape? Now, as we know, the Klingons have been taken in by the symbiotes, and so I would say it's improbable that they escaped. And no, they did not. So, Klingon vessel is still inside the the Awame, and. Um, Obviously, uh, things are on high alert just because, I mean, it's an alien vessel, it's a big unknown, it's a big question mark, um, and let's see, okay, so how does, how does Wynn not come back to her cell? Hmm. We already had one escape in the flashback, so I feel like I don't I don't necessarily want to um, tread on that too much. Could it be that the security detail ordered to escort her has similarly been infiltrated by the symbiotes? Let's uh, let's give that a slightly probable chance, and that's a yes. Okay, so. Um, our trio proceeds down the hall just a little ways before suddenly the security officers stop and when gives them a confused look and before she hears one of them telepathically say to her uh, don't worry um, we're with you okay so let's um, let's see here so what does Wynn want to do? I think I think her first her first priority is going to be um, going and, and finding the other two. So she'll she'll ask them, you know, uh, where are the other two prisoners? And they say, we'll lead you to them. So they do, and we arrive at the cell containing Frakes, cell containing Kresars, just down the hall. And uh, I know I said I didn't want to do an escape, but this isn't an escape. I was I meant escape in the sense of like shooting her way out or whatever. This is a this is a prisoner release. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, so uh, so security officers use their you know code to open the cells. Frakes and Kresar emerge, and where we had three, we now have five. How did the security officers um, become? Infected is that the right word? Uh, <laughs> anyway, how did how did the symbiotes make their way into the security officers? We don't know. We're not going to find that out right now. It's not important. Uh, it may be important later, though. Okay, so so when uh, let's see. 
we need to get out of the complex, right? So, um, so Wynn's gonna take command here, and uh, and just say say to these guys, um, show me where everyone else went. Okay, so I'm gonna roll for this. Not so much because I don't think the guys would know necessarily, uh, only to see like how effective we are at locating the um, the other Starfleet officers in a timely fashion. So like if it's a failure, it's going to take a while. If we get two successes, it'll be pretty quick. You know, that sort of thing. Plus we're just kind of rolling to see if we generate momentum, threat, whatever. So we're going to do daring plus command. So let's say 13 or less. And we get two successes. Great. No other advantages or anything, but we do get a momentum off of that. And okay, so might hold on to that one for a reroll. I don't think I need to spend it for an advantage just yet. So, okay, so the security team take Win along, uh, back along the corridor through the um, the room where her hearing was being held, and uh, and to a turbo lift. You know, it takes them. Uh, up to a uh, larger, much more open space. I'm kind of picturing uh, that that whole uh, sort of pavilion or lobby that was in. I think it was Star Trek Four, right, where they had to bring out those those ridiculous giant like pneumatic window braces to keep the windows from shattering because of the storms that were being whipped up by the the humpbacks, you know. So and. and See, Star Trek IV, now that's an interesting one because that is a great example of where you could have, like, friendly aliens, right, who are inadvertently causing a problem. So, I'm just thinking about what our, what our uh, amoeboid city ship is going to be doing. It is proximate to Earth. I'm not sure if it's in orbit yet or not. Let's find out. 50-50 chance. Yes, it is. Okay, so it's in orbit. So it's pretty close. Uh, presumably, Starfleet is mustering all of its local defenses. Uh, they did have advanced warning of this thing's approach. It didn't come out of nowhere. But it's also not... It's not showing any immediate threat. So I think there's you know, a kind of a wait and see. Uh, oh, and I'll mark that scene down as a success. Okay. Uh, the escape scene. So, yeah, so Wynn comes marching up onto this um, pavilion, this lobby, and of course many high-ranking Starfleet admirals, commodores, captains are here, many other officers. Uh, Kerensky is here. Um, you know, all the all the officers from her court-martial are here. And immediately the security teams that are on, on duty on this level of the um, Starfleet headquarters uh, spring into action. But Wynne holds up her hand and she says, I have come to help you. I have a unique, or we have a unique understanding 
of what is going on with the Owame Agopa. And so we'll say that uh, for the sake of not having to make a new character on the fly, Kerensky steps forward and she says, um, she says, I don't have much reason to believe you. But then again, you might just be telling the truth. And Wynne says, uh, Wynne says, I have no reason to lie, Commander. I am genuinely sorry for what it's worth, for what happened to Cal Captain Galvin. It was not intentional. So let's give Wynne a roll, see if she can kind of connect <laughs> connect with Kerensky uh, make it up to her and uh, that's where this momentum point will definitely come in handy if I fail this uh, it's going to be presence plus command so that's a 13 or less alright so close so close to getting a focus advantage off of that but I did get two successes. So I guess I could spend the momentum to re-roll one of those dice and hope I get a focus success. I don't get anything else. Um, since I have a momentum point, I don't generate another one. So the two successes are kind of wasted. So then again, if I spend the momentum point and it comes up as a fail on this re-roll, I don't get anything. If it comes up as another success, I get the moment, momentum point back. If it comes up as a focus um, success, I don't know, I, like, what's the term for that? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> if it triggers a focus, let's, yeah, there we go. If it triggers a focus, then I get a focus advantage too. So I think, I think there's a better, you know, better argument for spending the momentum. So let's, let's do that. I'll re-roll. Ah, dang it. I pushed my luck. Okay, so it just comes up, the <laughs> that was a fail, so it's just going to be one success total. <sighs> so Kerensky recognizes the gravity of the situation to the extent that she says, um, she says, um, we'll see what the court-martial decides. So I'll mark that scene down as a success, even though it was just one success. And uh, and so Kerensky says, um, what do you have to offer? To which Wynne replies, have you forgotten, Captain, of the Jakala and Kerensky arches an eyebrow and she says no I am not they are they were last seen being pulled inside this uh, strange craft Wynne says um, indeed they were they are still inside it as we speak they are like us they have 
merged and become as one with the Ogopa. And I think at this point Kerensky says, you know, Lieutenant, all of this smacks quite uncomfortably of that other species that we encountered on the other side of that wormhole that called themselves the Borg. They too spoke of assimilation. And Wynne says, it is not assimilation that the Ogopa seek. They do not wish to fundamentally alter who we are or use us to increase their own power. That is what makes the Ogopa different. And so Kerensky says, uh, well, then why are they here? And Wynne says, to teach us all about ourselves, how to be better versions of ourselves. And Kerensky says, how would they do that? To which Wynne says, let us show you. And she reaches out her hand towards Kerensky. So, I'm going to give Wynne another shot here to win Kerensky over. Um, again, presence plus command, I think. It's the best way to do it. Really hope... The reason I, I spent that momentum to try and generate a trigger of focus is because I have empathy. I have empathy as a focus. So, really hoping to trigger a focus here. Let's see. Come on. Oh, so freaking close. A four and a five, and I needed a three. <laughs> Dang it. Still, that is uh, two successes. Generate some momentum die. Um, do we want to do a momentum spend? I know there's a friendly aliens matrix that might be handy. Um, let's see here. Mm -hmm. <sighs> friendly alien encounter. Okay. Oh, right. There was the whole offer hidden knowledge thing that I had last time. A lot of it is offers. That's already happened. So, mm, yeah, I don't think so. Um, so I might hold on to it. I might hold on to it. Um, let's see. Can I just spend it to generate an advantage? I think so. Added advantage, yeah, you can roll on the advantage matrix. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Okay, or roll on another matrix if you're choosing, yeah. All right, so rolling on the advantage table might be interesting. Uh, let's see here. Historic precedent, we're using that as we speak. Um, yeah, we're kind of leveraging that already. Okay. So Kerensky, I'm not going to spend anything at the moment. Kerensky uh, stands stock still as I mark that scene down as a success. Kerensky stands stock still, and as Wynne's hand touches her cheek, there's a, a brief inhalation, and then she smiles as everyone, you know... All these other officers are just watching this whole interaction somewhat stunned. You know, what is going on? And 
Kerensky turns to face the admirals and the commodores, and she says, um, Lieutenant Sedino is right. The Iwame Ogopa is here to help us, to teach us how to be better versions of ourselves. And at that point, Wynn regains consciousness. Aha! Yes, that's the twist. It's like the one where Picard goes and lives this whole other life, except not quite extreme. Um, what I'm, what I was thinking of, what I had in the back of my mind all along, was that, um, basically this is a. So we're we started with a flashback, but then this is going to be an even bigger flashback. It's going to cut back to when when was. Uh, standing out on the platform outside the shuttle bay and the, you know, the sort of um, amoeba plasma descended in on her, you know. And I think that is what happened, is that it gave her this vision. A vision of a future that is now past. And I think in that vision she saw what happens when you try to play the hero when you try to be reckless when you um, don't operate as a as a team member you know uh, the value I generated last time we are all connected despite being worlds apart that's it that's what this that's what this lesson was about. So I think I'm actually gonna leverage that value. You know? And I'm gonna leverage that value to generate a story advantage. And the story advantage, I think, is simply that the Iwami Agopa having imparted this knowledge onto Wynne, leaves her with a feeling of um, being like an emissary, let's say. So she's sort of been taken in by the Agopa as, again kind of doing some parallels with the Borg here, right? So like like how Picard was turned into Locutus because the Borg recognized that it would need a, sort of like a, a, a person that is recognizable and, um, you know, looks human or, or looks familiar, I guess you could say, uh, to be sort of the Borg's mouthpiece to the Federation. Um, this is kind of the more wholesome side of that. This is this is the flip side of the Locutus Gambit. <laughs> Sounds like a Star Trek episode name uh, in and of itself. But um, yeah, so this is where the Agopa are kind of like, okay, so we've got this king, quote unquote. Um, so, but the king can't really travel outside of the the larger. Um, collective that is the Awami, right? And so Wynne has been promoted to be the emissary, essentially. 
And I think the Klingon ship was pulled inside the Awami entirely because they recognized the possibility that the Klingons would just kind of open fire and <laughs> destroy the Awame Gopa before it had a chance to do any of this. So now that Wynn has been sort of promoted and um, designated as the emissary of, of these peoples, uh, the Awame releases both ships. So the <laughs> the Jakala gets kind of unceremoniously uh, glorped out of the uh, giant mass that is the, uh, the city ship slash slime mold slash um, space colony and uh, and so too is the Kyushu uh, released from the pseudopod and uh, and so when goes back inside the shuttle bay the door is closed she takes the helmet off and there's Captain Galvin alive and well all of our trusty crew are there and in you know including frakes right who remember now when has had this moment in her vision where they confess their love for each other but now we're back in this other reality oh no the confession has not happened is it even real or was that just her wishful thinking being fulfilled we don't know it's a matter for next season i guess <laughs> going to keep the viewers coming back will they won't they classic anyway so they're all there and Wynne just kind of looks at all of them and uh, you know she smiles and <laughs> I think um, I think I, I think she would just without even thinking about it just go in uh, well <laughs> let's see so she took her helmet off, but she'd still be kind of covered in the slime from the uh, from the Agopa. So I was going to say she'd go in and hug uh, Captain Galvin, but maybe not. Um, so in fact, she says, uh, "I Captain, I want to hug you, but well, just look at me." And everyone has a little laugh, and there's kind of a little freeze frame, <laughs> and um, and yeah, I think we'll just I think we'll just wrap it up there. I don't know. There's well, there's still one scene left, right? So let's let's uh, spend this momentum point to generate one more story advantage. As we are uh, in Captain Galvin's, uh, well, not in his quarters, in the um, oh shoot, uh, I forget what the what the little room is called, like right off the bridge, the ready room. So we're in the ready room, and uh, Wynn is is standing at attention in front of Captain Galvin's desk. Uh, maybe we think for a moment that she's going to get reprimanded again. But instead, uh, Kerensky is there, Frakes is there, Timir is there, and Captain Galvin is saying, um, Lieutenant Junior Grade Sedino, I hereby promote you to full lieutenant for valor bravery and service to the Federation and uh, he clips the little thing onto her collar the little gold snap indicates rank and um, and when gives everyone smiles everyone smiles back and that'll be our last scene <laughs>
roll credits. All right. That was Captain's Log, everybody. So, as promised, I have some thoughts. Um, so, all in all, it definitely does a good job of, of generating uh, Star Trek-style adventures. I, in fact, I kind of feel like even though this is, what, like, session eight, I want to say? Not not counting session zero? Uh, I could keep going for a while, you know? Like, if, if I didn't have anything better going on, and <laughs> I didn't have all these other sort of, like, demands on my time and attention, I could really keep this going. And uh, I think if I return to Captain's Log in the future... It'll be one of two ways. It'll either be just something I do for myself, like as a little, little, just, you know, lonely fun. Or maybe if I'm dealing with some writer's block and I just want to kind of get my creative juices flowing, you know, I, I might sit down and I might not even necessarily record the, the session. In fact, I probably wouldn't. I would probably just uh, be jotting down notes and just sort of creating a story for myself and then maybe kind of like what I was originally musing about doing with this series maybe then just like recording a quick summary of everything that happened just for posterity so that would be one approach another approach would be to do it like as a stream um, which I know some people some of the examples I looked at um, in fact quite a few of the examples I looked at were uh, done like that as a, as a kind of a live streamed game and, uh, you know, that would just, it would sort of solve the main issue that I had. So I had, I had two main issues. One was the organization of the book, and I've kind of groused about that enough, so I'm not going to really harp on that any further. Um, and the other issue I had, which I have touched on as well, um, is just simply the fact that not being uh, a Trekkie and not being super immersed in the lore... Uh, I often found myself hitting sort of narrative um, roadblocks that I, frankly, I don't think I would be hitting if I was playing, like, something that was comparable that was set in, say, the Cthulhu Mythos or uh, the world of King Arthur or, uh, you know, I don't know, some other... Uh, you know, some of you may, may know my, my fandom for the old uh, Lone Wolf game book, so if it was like a you know, if I was, even though those were solo books themselves, but if I was playing a more like freeform narrative system that was taking me through the world of Magnamund, I think I'd be able to like make those sorts of decisions a lot, uh, a lot more on the fly, a lot more sort of organically. And I'm sure there's like lots of sort of potential uh, twists and turns that I probably missed out on just from like ignorance, you know? So if I was streaming, and I had even a you know a handful of people um, tuning in, you know I could always take it to them, say what do you guys think, and my you know or like somebody jumps into the comments like hey hey you're forgetting the blah you know or oh check out blah you might want to use them instead and I'd be like oh cool you know like that's cool um, I you know obviously with this series I had had a thought of doing that and I I know I encouraged you gentle listeners to. Um, to sound off on the discord or in the comments and you know there was a, a little bit of that 
but mostly it was just kind of people saying, I'm really enjoying this, and I don't watch a lot of Star Trek either, so I'm beginning to wonder if I vastly underestimated the number of Trekkies in my listening audience. I think I might have. <laughs> so that was my first mistake. But, um... Anyway, so, and of course, if you're listening to this in the future, uh, you know, the uh, the moment has passed, sadly. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I might live stream it. Because, uh, like I say, I, I could definitely see doing a lot more with this. Um, you know, and in fact, as I've commented on, like, there was this weird kind of, um, I'm not going to say sameness, but uh, sort of... Uh, circular narrative going on where, uh, you know, we, we kept kind of coming back to the same sort of plot beats, which was really kind of eerie, actually. I mean, I, I've read a few sort of sample moments out of out of the, the various matrixes, and, like, there's, there's just a lot going on uh, on these matrixes that we didn't even touch on. We didn't do a lot of, like, planetary exploration, um... You know, and I only got to do like the the planet creator matrix thing once. No, twice. I did do it twice, and man, that was fun. That came up with some really off the wall. I mean, the the floating uh, jellyfish that are like you know modeled on uh, Bronze Age Italy. You know, like <laughs> that's just wild, right? And very Star Trek too, which is cool. Uh, and then there's this whole other thing. So uh, if you're thinking of playing Captain's Log yourself, uh, and especially if you if you want a somewhat more structured approach, and honestly, I probably should have just done this, uh, <laughs> there's a free PDF uh, called the Captain's Log Supplemental. I think it's available through the Modifius website um, or and or DriveThruRPG. Uh, and what it is, I, I printed it out just in case I needed it. I never did. But it's got a couple things in it. So, um, first of all, it has all the, uh, it has, what do they call it, the lower decks. Um, oh, it's just lower deck starships. Right, right. So they actually have a lower decks campaign guide for Star Trek Adventures. And so they, they took... Um, all the starships from lower decks and um, statted them up for captain's log because basically they hadn't secured the rights to lower decks when they published captain's log so this is them uh, doing that and then the other piece here and this is I promised I wasn't going to, to harp on the on the book but I'm going to just take one more shot at it because it says here uh, there was a lot of great content that we had to cut near the end of development in order to keep the book to a manageable and affordable size. However, with the joys of digital publishing, we're able to provide the content to you now as a supplemental PDF. Look, I totally get it. I've been in positions where I've had to cut back on projects. You know, sometimes your vision exceeds your budget, or at least like uh, the the you know targeted price point of the product. Uh, I hear that. I just I wish they had maybe cut down on the huge section in the beginning of the book that like kind of explains Star Trek because as I've said before it it does explain it me being a relative novice to Star Trek like it did it did fill in a few blanks for me but it also didn't ex it, it's impossible for it to go into the level of detail that was required for me in terms of generating the story I still found myself having to look up tons of information. 
So I'm not saying they shouldn't have had a little uh, primer at the beginning, but I think it should have been, it could have been cut down a bit just so that they could have included what's in this PDF, which is mission prompts. And so the mission prompts are basically, um, you know, pre prefab missions. And they're just like, uh, they're one page each, you know, one or two pages, I should say. And so like, you know, the first one is called uh, Mission of Mercy. And it gives you the opening captain's log. We've been selected to participate in an urgent mission of mercy. Recent natural disasters and already challenging environmental instability have taken their toll on the inhabitants of a local planet. With their existing crops destroyed and the viability of new ones in question, the inhabitants are barreling toward a global famine. We are on our way to deliver some much-needed supplies. Unfortunately, a majority of the planet's inhabitants believe this famine to be some sort of spiritual punishment from their gods. They may well try to sabotage the salvation efforts. Then gives you possible encounters and a bunch of prompt questions. The nature of the supplies has been deliberately left vague to give you more flexibility in your planning. Are the supplies physical things like food and clothes? Are they machines that have to be built? What is making the future crops on the planet likely to fail? And goes on like that. So the most pressing question, and one that should be asked multiple times throughout this adventure, is whether or not your crew's efforts will be undermined by the planet's inhabitants. Feel free to get creative with the kind of planet, taking ideas from or rolling on Strange New Worlds charts starting on page 294. So, you know, just stuff like that. And yeah, like I contemplated using one of these, but honestly, you know, the, the sort of random roles that I was generating, what, you know, were creating a pretty strong through line narrative. Um, however, like weirdly um, circular it, it felt at times. Um, you know, whereas these are these are much more in the spirit of, of TOS, where they're they're not really um, related to each other, you know. And so, you could do a TOS style captain's log by just starting with Mission of Mercy and just playing through every single one, of which there are quite a few actually, um, including one called Host Organism. So I was actually I saw that after um, all of our stuff <laughs> had played out. Um, but uh, let's see. Oh, Ferengi, Ferengi show up in this one. Um, a Ferengi marauder dropped out of a warp and hailed us, claiming they had evidence one of the admirals is under the control of a neural parasite. I suspect this is just a ploy by the Ferengi to glean valuable information about the Starfleet's defensive posture, but the claim is too serious to ignore. This mission creates a combustible powder keg of characters and factors that you must manage in order for the meeting to be. Uh, meeting of the Admiralty to conclude successfully. You'll have to keep each Admiral happy, prevent the Ferengi from disrupting the proceedings, and investigate the neural parasite threat all in the same mission. So, I mean, that's the other thing, is that, I mean, like, since these have had some level of foresight or forethought put into them, uh, yeah, I think they're... I guess that's the other thing I would just say about the Captain's Log missions that I generated, is they all felt a bit... Um, I don't want to say one-dimensional, but certainly um, very straightforward. You know, there's very action-oriented, very like, this is happening, now this is happening. So I'm glad that at the end I was able to kind of mess around a little bit, do the Inmedius Rest beginning with the flashback, and then, you know, the cut to it was all a dream, you know, or it was all a vision in this case. Um, very cool, you know, and... I don't know, playing through some of those prefab missions probably would have given me similar levels of plot complexity. But, you know, for a first outing, you know, just sort of 
taking the matrixes for a uh, for a spin. Uh, I, I think it was fine. You know, I, I I don't really, yeah, I don't really have an issue with that per se. But yeah, if I were to do it again, I might might just bust out those missions and, like I said, do the TOS approach. Just play just play straight through them, maybe. But anyway. That's it for now. Thank you for coming along with me on this journey um, and and listening to the adventures of no longer junior Lieutenant Sedino. Uh, like I say, she, she'll probably show up if I ever play or run Star Trek Adventures, either as a PC or an NPC. And um, I really like the 2350s as a setting, so that's probably what I would go with if I were to run Star Trek Adventures, and uh, as I said at the top of this episode, I'm looking forward to the second edition, so uh, don't hold your breath, I won't be running Star Trek Adventures <laughs> for the podcast anytime soon, because uh, I do want to wait on that second edition first. But um, uh, in the meantime, we will be getting back to our group games um, coming up next, and... That's all I'll say for now. But um, I guess I would just caution you to look out for monsters. Until then. <laughs>